Hello and welcome to What Memory, the podcast for survivors of stroke and brain injury. It's 2021, so happy new lockdown. Over Christmas, we found out our first four podcasts have been downloaded over 200 times, which is about 195 times more than we were expecting. So you'll be delighted to know this has encouraged us to keep on podcasting. About our own post-stroke rehabilitation, how other people cope with brain damage, and what's new in brain injury research. I'm Stephen Masters, and I'm here with Josh Reed. This is episode number five, called Masks. So, anyway, how are you with masks then? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with them. Obviously, they are annoying because I wear glasses. So, they yeah, me are too. Very, very difficult, as as you will know yourself. Um, but yeah, obviously, they I need them because obviously I'm uh, high risk, high risk. You are, risk. aren't you? <laughs> um, so yeah, so I need. I need to wear them if I ever if I go out and I see anyone. I need to have a mask on, and even if I'm in and someone pops in, I have to. I have a mask at my door, um, and I'm like, right, okay, put it on, and then I can talk to them. <laughs> so, yeah. is, is the fact that you've had a, a double lung transplant, which is when you had the stroke, but um, leaving that aside, is it because of the, the double lung transplant and the cystic? fibrosis that led to that 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 makes you very high risk i imagine it does yeah so um so 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 cystic fibrosis are really high risk people oh well yeah but then because i'm on anti-rejection meds because of the double lung transplant oh yeah i forgot about that insanely high risk um so yeah so it's it's a double whammy basically so what kind of mask do you use that can (laughs) so what kind of mask can can it can get you out outdoors with possibly other people (laughs) where it's not going to have a huge impact on you it is like darth vader mask or something yeah so um so well I, for the longest time, I use the disposable masks, right. um, and they were—they're like one of the best masks just for general use. Uh, they protect everyone, um, and they stop breathing things out and stop things coming in. So they're very, very useful. Um, then I upgraded because I was like. I'm, it's slightly environmentally friendly, and I was like, oh, I have real issues with disposing of them, and oh, yeah. all this money is disappearing, and you know, well, how are we making them, and all this. So I then went to the sort of rewashable mask. It's a foam thing, um, and every sort of like day, once I'd finished my day, I would put it in the uh, washing machine, and that would done, and then I would put it back on again, um, and that was. That made me feel better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was it was as you, it was as good because I I kept cleaning it, whereas a lot of people don't clean them. They just have them there and they don't clean them, so it's actually not as useful. It degrades after a day. Um, so yeah, so it's it's difficult. Um, but I was doing this because I was trying to find something I'd I'd ordered this fancy cystic fibrosis transplant mask uh they do their own masks oh yes we do (laughs) Um, (laughs) so we um so i ordered them probably when in march when this first first happened but i didn't get it till 
August. So I was okay. trying to wait and trying to do stuff to find it because it took a long time because these are the medical masks that doctors and nurses use right. who are high-end and doing um, surgeries and stuff like that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, right. Sur- surgical theatre. We're doing. So top grade then. Industrial yes. strength. Okay, right. Yes, exactly. Um, and so it's got a – how it is, a normal mask shape. It's a bit thicker, um, and it's got a breathing hole. So that's obviously – it's like it's, – it's got a – what's it called? Um, ventilator. Uh, it's like in the side. Oh, oh right. Um, okay. In the, I can't think what they're called now. Um, I wonder they're, they're kind of like a, they're the size of a two p piece, and they're kind of like little things yes. that are either side. Oh yeah, they look like they yeah. yeah like when you're cleaning up industrial waste, they wear things like that, don't they? Kind of little, yes. little mask things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is, no, is exactly. yours a bit um, like that? Then is it? Is it got these kind of? Yes. Oh blimey! Right. This little thing on the side. Uh, so it's a normal mask, but then it's just got that part on the side, and it means that okay. So when I I, I seal my face with it's got two ties on it which you can stretch or uh make looser um and it seals my mouth completely and then i only breathe through that um and it stops things coming in and also coming out so it protects me like i'm not like being outside with people so yeah um so that that's that's very very useful um but can, so, can you live yeah. with them i mean can you actually go out and use them because i find it very difficult masks very difficult uh, actually altogether the ones with the 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 uh the very simple ones which went around the ears um yeah they used to pull my ears forward so i look i look like a taxi with the doors open just he's got a sticky out ears, which was not a good yeah. look and then but i found that um, whichever mask i was using my glasses steamed up and I know there's tons of things on YouTube and Google, you know, how to get, stop your glasses steaming up. None of them work. None of them work. And I found as soon as I went into, into, into a room, um, from outside, you just steamed up immediately. And I, I was sort of staggering through trying to get a coffee in a little coffee shop that we aren't just around the corner from me. And I would get stepped through the door and it was takeaways only. So you one, one person at a time. By the time I got to the counter, my glasses are completely steamed up and that was it. I couldn't see what I was doing. I was <laughs> dropping stuff. And then um, the other day I was, um, I spent some time in a hospital and you have to wear it all the time in a hospital. And um, I just found I was getting confused. My brain started to to lose its kind of um, thinking ability. I was dropping stuff. I was um, tripping over things. My balance went. My focus went. I, j- I just couldn't keep up with. I think it's one more thing for my brain to have to think about. And it's probably the oxygen as well. Like you are trapping some oxygen out and you're not. I think so as well. Is not fully oxygenated. So, so I'm, yeah, yeah so, I'm rebreathing my own air, really. No, yeah, not a good. exactly. So the problem, like, I think the thing is for me that for 27 years, my I I would breathe like I had a mask, but without a mask. So right. I was really struggling anyway, and so I'm used to it. Almost. So I like, you know, when I put a mask on, it's kind of like, oh, I can breathe much better than I could when I was 
my lung function was uh, 18%. Understood, so understood. I'm fine, I just carry on. But yes, I can imagine like a lot of people, because uh, I'm friends with a lot of people who have like breathe like some lung issues, but different from CF and stuff like that. Um, and they can't wear masks. And it's like, yeah, and it is, it is a worry. And it's like, okay, are people, uh, the number of times I see people walking around um, with their uh, mask under their chin, uh, talking to people yes. in town. And I'm like, well, what, what's the actual point? What is the point? Because, <laughs> you know, it's not doing anything there. Like, okay, when you go into a shop, you put the mask on brilliant but as soon as you get out the, the minute you step out of that door you've got the mask off and just breathing everyone else's germs who walks past you so yeah it's it's it can be very frustrating it's very frustrating <laughs> because when i used to stagger out of a, a that, the coffee shop with the coffee in one hand and a coffee in the other one for, for my wife and then i think oh, i need to get the mask off now oh my god i can hardly breathe and my glasses are still steamed up and i'm trying to stagger away yeah. away from people and then kind of i know i did exactly oh, what I you said said i put pushed the mask down just below my chin just uh, like a huge breath of other people's air therefore getting more yeah. more covid opportunities than ever before and yeah i, I haven't cope well with masks i've got to say um well no and so i guess for people who wear who can't cope with masks like yourself i think uh so my mom uh is a teacher she's a language teacher um and she uh uses a visor uh so there's like two types of visors there's one which is a sort of uh basically a band that you just put on your head which i have had news and it's just gives you headaches all the time so um, it just totally doesn't work unless you've got an insanely small little head basically <laughs> um and uh yeah whereas the second one is like okay it's got a pair of glasses on but they're they're, they're big enough that so for art for me i put the glasses on and they fit on my actual glasses so i've got quite uh big rimmed glasses um and they fit very easily and then i forget so i forget i have them um and the number of times i've gone to have a drink of coffee and it's just spilled on the visor is just uh i can't count i'm very (laughs) sorry to hear this because i've just ordered a visor style mask because i thought i the other masks don't don't work for me at all so i thought Right, we're going to get a visor, and um, but the ones which which went over your ears, I thought, well, I already wear glasses, so this isn't isn't going to work. So I got one which is kind of like a tie mask. It has ties at the back okay. and goes over your ears, but it's only you know like a thin piece of, of uh, elastic, yeah. uh, and then it somehow pushes the visor away from your forehead and around your nose. So I thought that might work, but now you've said that. That well, steams up just as badly. Um, I'm not holding in my hopes there now. <laughs> well, no. So that one I haven't heard of before. Um, it must be quite... I think it's quite a new one, yeah. Um, uh, but the first batch of devices they did, they just did uh, They did a rubber band, which was really, really tight, and they put a visor on top, like, on the top of it. Um, and that's what, it, well, that's what they were. Um, and it was just uncomfortable as heck so yeah but 
yeah um my as i was saying my mum is a language teacher and she she needs to have um be able to speak to her classroom and her the class the pupils see her lips and read her lips because obviously as a language that is that very is important. huge yes and uh, so that's how she's managing with it because she's just using buzzer. They they they're like two meters apart where they can be, and they in her lesson because obviously they know that I am very high risk. They pretty much all wear masks without prompting, which is also really nice. Well, wow, yeah, that's good. And yeah, it's it's sort of making them realise that actually I need to not care about myself as much i need to care about other people yeah which is hopefully being put through to all other classes on the other way but yes it's 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 it seems to work for her and it they are definitely very very useful um and i do actually quite in get on with visors uh a lot so yeah well i'll let you know how i get get on with the with the this oh, yeah, news please do but the um but after I'd ordered it, I thought, hang about, I've got to carry this thing around with me now, haven't I? In a, yes. I can have a visor bag or something, somebody I can put it in. But I'm, I'm terrible for forgetting things and um, yeah. putting things down and then forgetting where I put them. So I can see it's one other thing that's going to get lost. You know, it's going to yes. be like, so, visor, what visor? Yeah, that, that's the reason that I prefer a mask. So I always have a bag with me. Which uh, might could be a rucksack, so I always have a rucksack with me for my all my medications and stuff like that, just in case. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I know I put it in my bag, my visor in my bag, and I crunched it. And once you you've crunched it, it's really hard to to see anything through it. So if you 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 crunch the plastic and it sort of like breaks, but doesn't it's like cracks um then it's really difficult to see anything so yeah i i always have a mask in my pocket i have i have a couple of disposable masks in my bag so i'm all set if anything goes wrong <laughs> so, yeah. you're very much well organized better better than me i've got to say i think yeah i mean it's it's years and years of practice basically <laughs> So basically, what you're saying is you've got to have 27 years of cystic fibrosis to ma to be able to manage the situation. I can I can understand that actually because I've <laughs> I've never had any experience of things like this. So, uh, no. and I've just been recently diagnosed that I've lost a bit of hearing in my right ear, which we think oh, is right, probably yeah. down to um, the stroke because my brain is clearing of the fuzziness and the fogginess. I'm, I I knew there was an imbalance in there, but it, it started not to clear, and I thought, hmm, could be the hearing that proves to be so we don't know whether it's um the hearing's gone or whether the brain just can't recognize the sound and so the hearing's perfect but the brain's gone um but that combined with a mask with that slight hearing difficulty i find all the other senses kind of I can only cope with three or four senses at once. So if you add in a mask as a breathing problem, then I've got to lose something else. So I get very clumsy. And uh, in the hospital, I was actually sort of, I nearly tried to get out of a chair and, and just sort of keeled over. So uh, yeah. I, think I was thinking, this is very bad. And then outside, I didn't recognise the people who come to pick me up. 
even though they were right in front of me. So I was, I was starting to lose my critical faculties to be able to sort of uh, negotiate the real world. So th- I think yeah. that has quite a powerful effect on me. So I don't know why, but uh, brain injury, isn't but yes. it? That's what comes with a stroke. There we go. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> very interesting. You sent me a thing the other day, but you s- about 65 roses. What does that mean? So, um, so 65 Roses is a term which was coined when young people could not say cystic fibrosis. So young people would say, I have cystic fibrosis, 65 Roses, and it became uh, a, like an emblem of cystic fibrosis. Um, oh, got it now. So, yeah. It's, oh, so it's, that, that thing, that mask with 65 Roses is not... I was thinking, what's 65 Roses got to do with a mask? But now I understand. So 65 Roses is what? The Cystic Fibrosis logo. mask and their logo for it. Now I've got it. Now yeah, I've got so it. it um, so there's, I have a blue one because I got it the first day that they were available. Um, but then now they've had a Cystic Fibrosis uh, so, cystic fibrosis person who's had a lung transplant artist to do one for people who have had cystic fibrosis and lung transplants, and specifically for that, and it actually does more things than the regular one uh, because it's it allows you to breathe even easier, but not lose any protection. Because I remember when I was in hospital, um, I completely lost it but, but in the first couple of days. So I was emotionally incontinent, basically. I was laughing, crying, swearing. I was all over the place. I had no filters at all. Um, I had no... I wasn't a civilised person, if you understand, and neither were the people around me. Um, yeah. But in a couple of days, I started to sort of get my head together and after about two weeks, um, my uh, my children and, and my wife were trying to persuade me that, or I was trying to persuade myself that I should be leaving hospital and recovering at home. But they kept on saying, "You can't, you can't come out of hospital yet, Dad. You know, you're going to have to. You know, it's another week at least, and only if you can do this, that, and the other, and you know, basically behave yourself." like a normal human yeah. being. And I was I remember thinking, I don't, and that was the first time I started thinking, well, I've, I've got to start acting normally, even though I don't feel very normal in my head. I've got to start acting like I'm fairly normal. So I started to put up this kind of front of normality, even though what was happening in the background was a bunch of squirrels in a tree in my head, basically <laughs> racing around. And so I was trying to act natural. And... Yeah. I found that quite difficult to do, but I realised if I didn't yeah, act... It's, it's a lot of effort. It's an it's awful lot of, effort, lot of effort, effort. To try and act normally. Yes, but I knew that if I didn't act normally, I wouldn't be let out. So I decided yes. that was the best way forward. And I suppose at some point in all of that, I realised I was actually putting on a kind of... I was masking my symptoms of how distressing yeah. all of this was in, in order to achieve something else, if you see what I mean. Because if I didn't yeah, exactly. do that, then they were just going to keep me there until I actually kind of like behaved like a normal human being. So I thought, yes. <laughs> oh, I've got to put up a mask of a normal human being for yes. as long as possible 
you know, while I'm yeah. awake and while I'm sort of listening to them, <laughs> act like you're listening, acting like you know what you're doing. Um, yeah. Act like you can walk no, a bit better uh, than you are. <laughs> yeah. Were no, you like that? And when, oh, yeah. when you finally yes. came out of the coma, you were kind of trying to act natural? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, it's, it's so I guess for me, it was, so I, obviously I've had to act natural for my whole life basically because yes yes you know it's i've got i've had illnesses constantly and when i've spoken to people and they're like oh how are you doing and they're walking past and i'm like yeah i'm fine and they walk off and i'm like yeah i i'm actually not fine i want to cry and scream but they don't need to know that they don't want to know that they didn't actually ask that and so for the longest time for me i put up this wall, this front of, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't want to talk about my own illnesses. I don't want to talk about my own issues. I am fine. And yes. in a lot of ways, that was helpful because I realized that, you know, I did tell people who that I was feeling crap um, and feeling bad and wanting to cry. And a lot of the time I had to choose the person who I was talking to because a lot of the time they were like, oh, that's a bit too much effort. I just hoped you would say I'm fine and that would be it. And so I was like, okay, unless I can talk to actually people I can talk to properly, like friends yeah. and family and stuff like that, it was it was very difficult to find those people who I could actually be honest with. And so for me, probably when I was at uni, because I used to – uh, so I disappeared for two hours in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. I didn't tell my friends at all what I was doing. Well, you just I vanished. All of my physio, <laughs> all of my physio, all of my meds, all of my um, stuff that I needed to do medically. And then two hours off in the evening at like nine o'clock, I would go out and I'd be the normal person, a bit wacky, a bit wild, but I would be right. a normal person for those hours. And no one was not. No one was want like the wiser. It was only when people, for example, so I've had friends who stayed over. Um, <laughs> I've had I've I've gone abroad to friend, with friends. Yeah. And it was only then that they realised, my God, that you do that every single day. And I was like, yeah, you just don't see that part of me because you don't need to. I don't want you to. Um, and they're like, but all the thing that I realised was that actually I couldn't be close with anyone unless I let them in. And that was oh, yes. right. difficult for me because I brought up my mask to so long that I was just used to being like, oh, yeah, and no, I'm fine, when I wasn't. Yes. It's, 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 it's that I'm fine as, as a yes. kind of catch-all reply to every question. Um, exactly. that, that's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because inside you're not fine at all. And no. I always find it was... Uh, when I was a headway, I started to realise that the best way of asking people about that, because no, there's no good asking people with brain injury, how are you? Because actually, yeah. you know, they're crap, just like you. So that obviously. Yeah. But if you said, how are you today? It, it yes. kind of contextualised it into, of all the possible worst case scenarios you're in right now, how's today's worst case scenario? And that, exactly. that, um, that seemed to resonate with people. And I think that they would open up about how they were really feeling that particular day. Because if you just said, you know, how are you? They say, well, <clears throat> I've got a brain injury and I'm, you know, 
life rubbish, basically. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, so I think that definitely, because obviously, obviously this was all before I had my stroke. So I was dealing that with that before. But I think that when I had my stroke, I didn't realise how bad I was because I didn't want to believe it. And so for yes. a long time, I was like, no, mentally, I am fine. I know what I'm doing. I know this. And it was hurting people around me because I wasn't re even realising myself that I was hiding my own mask. So, like, it, was, it wasn't until sort of like a year and a bit ago, a year and a half ago, that I could actually go, oh, I have been awful to people I care about. I have been, like, not... I know what you about mean. How they feel. Yeah. Um, and with so I uh, so with Scott that we talked about the memory uh, issues with um, is episodes two and three. I he was my psychologist, right? Um, and I could talk to him. And it wasn't until I spoke to him. I used to speak to him once a week, and we'd go around the park. We'd go around, and because I didn't want us to be trapped in a room, no. just talking about the stuff. Um, and he said he he listened. He just listened, and I was like, "I'm going to say things which are I don't are horrible and are going to hurt people." But I want to talk to you because you don't have any, I guess, vested interest in these people, and you won't you. And my emotions are won't bother you, but this is how I feel. So I, I'd say, yeah, and and and. And it wasn't until then that I realised that I'd had put this mask up and I'd had it on for for years of yes, my life. Yes. And it wasn't until I sort of noticed that and found that I could work on it. Um, but the lot, the harder it, it's, it really takes a long time for you to one realise that you have a mask you've absolutely up, you've had so long, and two things that you can do about. It do about it so i am now i'm physically trying to force myself to be like oh i'm going to say be honest be open and honest with how i feel about some uh with, with someone yeah so i'll be like well this is how i feel you might not like that and i understand that but i'm not going to keep it bottled up where when i might blow at a random situation <laughs> warrant it because it's built up and built up and built up so over many years, you've built up this huge kind of front, haven't you? If you've been, yeah. so you were the mysterious Josh who, in the mornings, would yeah. disappear off the face of the yeah. planet somewhere and would mysteriously yeah. appear at lunchtime. Like, where'd that guy go? Where? Why? <laughs> boy, oh boy, you're like some sort of weird superhero kind of guy who comes in, <laughs> kind of like, hmm, I wonder where he's been for four hours this morning, and uh, hmm, okay, I can yeah. see that's a very difficult. Uh, thing to kind of cover up for so long my god and also it's a big it's a big like a big habit to break because so for like oh, so yeah. i had i was in hospital for two weeks but i wouldn't tell anyone i was in hospital i would say oh or i would say but i would just be like brush it off so oh i'm in yeah. hospital but i'll be back on this date um and i then as soon as i did get back i'd go out to, for a party or something like that um but I had two weeks of intense IVs and physio and all of this. And I didn't sort of tell anyone because wow. I was like, well, I, I, I need to compartmentalize my life. I need to, because 
for my own sake and for other people's sake, I thought, because I was like, I don't want to talk about how I'm ill. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it when I'm not ill. I think that's so, yeah. a very lovely way of putting it, of compartmentalising your life. And there's there's a weird thing about brain injury that that there's a part of your brain that's still functioning, which is trying to compartmentalise the brain injury in a social yeah. context or in exactly. a worldview kind of thing. So this is my brain injury and this is the real me. This is a, that I found that really odd because in the very early days, I would say things like, yeah, I'm fine, to a simple question. But um, clearly, I wasn't fooling anybody because I clearly didn't look and act and sound fine at all. So I was only fooling myself, really, Um, or thinking I was fooling them, whereas they could clearly see that I wasn't fine at all. And then later on, I managed to, to look the part so when I said I'm fine, people would say, well, he looks very fine to me and he sounds fine. So he is fine then. So we'll, we'll take him at his word, even though inside I've managed to compartmentalise the part of my brain which was completely frazzled and the part of my yeah. brain which is trying to rationalise the fact that I'd been completely frazzled. Yeah. In fact, when I went well, to the doctor oh. and she said, well, what can I do for you today? And she, um, I said, well, you know, following the stroke and everything, I'm feeling this, that and the other my arms and my legs and she said hmm stroke i don't see any notes about having a stroke are you sure you've had a stroke and i said yeah oh yeah yeah you should you don't (laughs) look aware yeah yeah (laughs) aware of this deeply and um she said um oh well the notes from the hot we told the story about the hospital and everything and she said well the notes from the hospital haven't arrived yet obviously this was weeks later and i thought bloody oh okay She said, the thing is, you don't look like you've had a stroke. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a huge complication because if I don't look like I've had a stroke, this conversation is going to be very tricky because I'm going to have to say, well, there's all this going on and I can hardly move my leg and stuff like this. And uh, But I was having to kind of prove to her that I was actually not very good. (laughs) And at at that point, I had to kind of exaggerate in a way my very real symptoms but i felt i had to kind of prove to her that the stroke had actually happened in lieu of any other evidence which was the weirdest thing in the world really oh yeah definitely like so for me like so the first time i went in town i had i'd had sort of people coming with me so uh my dad uh looked after me when i was at the hairdressers and beard trimmers um and stuff like that so i didn't have to be responsible for my own self. <laughs> yes. um, the first time I went to town on my own, I went to McDonald's because I was like, right, I want to order a burger. And seems reasonable. So I went went to went to uh, the shop, um, went into it, and ordered. I went to the the desk because I couldn't do the self-service. So I asked them, oh, I want to order this. They gave me a receipt and I waited. And then suddenly they realised, they said, I realised that there was a number, a string of numbers, which I was going to be called out. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't tell anyone because I look fine. If I, if I, and if I tell anyone, they will just be like, scoff at me. And so I started to have a panic attack which is the first panic attack I've ever had. Right. And luckily only 
the only one. Um, and they, I, so I was like, oh, I was trying to figure out this number, and this there was a letter as well. I was trying to think out, figure this out, and I was like, oh, is it sixty-one? Sixty. <laughs> um, and my brain was just like all over the place, and uh, they said, oh, sixties up, and I just snatched it, went out, <laughs> and then ran into like an alleyway, <laughs> panicking, and then was just like. And it took me like five, ten minutes to breathe. And then I looked and I was like, this is not my order at all. Um, and so that, that was it. And I was like, but, and, and that was the first, that was the first thing. And I remember being like, if this is the, because I was like, this is the last time I'm going into McDonald's. This is the last, last time. But I was like, if this is the last time, I cannot, I will not, I'll never go again. I'll never go in. <laughs> and so the next day i went in and i read right okay, i'm gonna do this and it was a struggle and i said oh i've got eyesight issues so can you tell me my number and they told it and then i got my right order and that was that was a big win for me that was a massive absolutely win situation but if, if i hadn't been strong enough mentally strong enough to sort of go in again i would have just never gone in but you do realize that there's somebody in the world um who who remembers an occasion when they were in mcdonald's and they made an order and suddenly just as they're about to hand them he handed the coffee (laughs) this guy with a beard and glasses leapt in grabbed the coffee (laughs) and legged it out of mcdonald's so fast that you could they they couldn't chase them and forever after (laughs) they were probably telling that story as a joke in pubs you know? I know, I know. It's, 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 it was, it was awful. It, I, I never had a panic attack before, but I was just like so, so like, af- like afraid and like shaking and stuff like that. It was horrible. But that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> you know, you've got to. Okay, you've you've had a panic attack. You've had a, you faced your fear, and then you need to go and do something about that because otherwise, you will just. Yeah, just not do it. Not do it at all. all. Yeah, I know. I know. So a a bit later on, I started um, walking, not with the Zimmer frame, but with a stick. And um, I got fitted with the stick, as they they do for the height and everything. And um, I was hobbling around the local street. Yeah, I remember walking with my walking stick and thinking, um, "This is this is going all right." But um, I used to worry that um, children and dogs and people would get too close. So when I stopped using the stick, um, and I was a bit wobbly on my feet, and I still am because the balance yeah. side of it got hit with the cl- when the clock burst. But um, I tried that for a couple of days, and I realised I didn't like having people this close because once you don't have a stick people just brush past you the dogs are there and the exactly. you know the kids and everything like that now and there's, there's very narrow pavements around where i live so um i was thinking oh this is going to be very uncomfortable so i took to using the stick all the time yeah. um as a kind of uh, as a signal, indication as an indication you know to keep and it was it was pretty good actually because from about 25 feet away, as the people came towards me, they would say, oh, old man with a stick. So there we go. We, we'll walk yes. around him because, you know, yeah, he could, yeah. if he falls over, I don't want to get sued. So um, yeah. and I thought, well, this works for me. So I spent yeah. 
quite a few months just walking with the, with a stick, even though I didn't really need it. it but it, but it's, it was a signal. It was like a little, it was, I suppose in a way it was a, a, a masking thing because I didn't really need it, but I, nobody could see yeah. the distress I had just trying to walk. So exactly. yeah. they would just walk That's straight into me, you know, you know, and there's nothing you could do about it. So with the stick, you could get them to keep away. And uh, I kind of thought, that's a bit weird. Like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life waving a, waving a stick around to keep small children and animals away. Okay. But um, I thought I finally got out of that now. And, uh, yeah. and that's worked for oh, a short, yes. for, the, for the time I needed yeah. to do it, really. So, because I, when I had uh, the, my uh, boots to sort of, like, help my leg, my stick, everyone would, like, go around me and avoid me and when I first started to be able to walk maybe like without it just like along my street like the notice was so so like stark that it was people were just like would act as if you were normal and that's that's okay if you are able to see and hear and do everything normally but you know, it's the people coming behind me still is an issue. So I don't hear necessarily hear them or I can't see them because I've got the corner of my eyes. Uh, uh, I've gotten blind in the corner of my eyes. Yes. So it's like people come up with uh, on a bike and I'm suddenly like, oh, God, sorry. Oh, there's someone there. I was like, OK, I didn't re- realize that. But, yeah, it's it's a it can be a shock. And luckily, it's a shock that I'm now sort of used to. Yes. But yeah, that's why I have the the cane, the white cane, because I do uh, do use it. Um, but yeah, so it's it's you've got to show, unfortunately, that you are somehow ill, and that that's a real big issue for me. And that's why. Um, so I've got these uh, sunflower lanyards. They're sort of like showing that you've got a hidden illness, and a lot right. of people, a lot of trains. Know that know about them. A lot of um, all airports and stuff like that. Oh, so I see these. Yes. Show this lanyard, then uh, you can go in quickly, fastly, speedy boarding, basically. Right. Um. So yeah. So it's, it's very very useful. But then recently, um, I was standing in a queue for the pharmacy, and this guy, uh, this elderly guy has a underlying edition i can see his lanyard um and this woman behind him was just having a go and being like oh god so why is he being like this why is he not going and i was like sorry uh just to let you know this is what it means and then it's like oh oh i didn't know oh i'm really really sorry oh uh, yeah sorry of course not and i was like no no this is the problem. Not a lot of people, not enough people of the general public know about it. A lot of ex, like yes. people who work in transport and stuff like that do, which is great. But sometimes it's, you know, it's needed to be known wider in the community. The funny thing about that lanyard is I, I, I was offered one of those and yeah. In the end, I, I did try it for a couple of days, but then I, I had this real kind of crisis about it. I don't know why, yes. but um, having worn lanyards for quite a lot of my working life um, as an identity of, you know, who I am with my little badge on it, you know, so with my photograph, my name and everything like that, so people know how I am. Um, the, 
the idea that I will replace that with a kind of permanent identity, which said basically brain dead. Um, I, I, I got very uncomfortable about that. And it was kind of like I didn't want to identify as having an underlying disability. And um, I don't know why I was so uncomfortable with it, but it, it did really strike me very deeply that it was kind of like a badge that I didn't want to wear. Um, although I can quite see there are huge pluses in wearing one of those I I just have that inner kind of I want to be back to normal I I don't want to be in that permanent state of hidden disability that scares me uh, issue all the time like when I'm wearing it I'm like I don't want to be seen as the disabled person hidden disability (laughs) I don't want to be seen and basically have an arrow pointing to my head saying I am disabled like give me some slack and it I don't want that I absolutely understand that (laughs) also at the same time I know that unless I do that like people won't give me slack if I need it and if I do need it then I do need it but if I so for example I remember a time when I went uh so I was going to London um I had my white stick um but nothing else um so I put it in my bag to sort of um put in my rucksack on the train whilst I was on the train then I forgot about it and the train stopped one station uh, before St Pancras and we had to change trains right. and I was like oh god oh god what what am I going to do what am I going to do so I followed people um, and then they, they all went up and I was like right okay so this is the right sort of train but I wanted to make sure so I asked this person this uh, this uh, conductor or helper oh is this the train to St Pancras I just want to make sure and she was like yeah can't you read um and I said oh I'm really sorry I've had a stroke and it's caused eyesight issues um I just want to make sure and suddenly clicked like that she was like oh can I do anything yes it is of course yeah, it is yeah. like oh can I help you can I give you can I can I uh hold your arm something like that. I was like no 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 it's fine I just wanted to know whereas like if I'd had my stick which I forgot about I would it wouldn't have been an issue it would have just been like assume oh yes this is the right train yes so there are circumstances where they are useful but I think that if you have it with you I so I always have my uh stick and my lanyard in my bag if I do need it I can take them out you kind of whisk them out and they're there well curious enough I have a card uh, a kind of little plastic kind of credit card size plastic card which explains that I've, I've had a brain injury and there are three or four areas that I'm very not very good at um, but I like to keep it sort of hidden away in my wallet yeah. to produce it when in a way when I want to so I'm not yeah. I'm not on display as a hidden disabled disabled person but I can play that literally play that card when I think Whenever. I need to let this person know that I've got I've got the disability and I think being in control of that um is a much better thing for me yes oh yeah the weird the weird thing is that I've always it was only after I had the stroke and I was struggling with all of this stuff that I began to realize that for all of 
your life, you do put up different masks for different situations, don't you? Oh, yeah. So when I was doing the training and the teaching stuff, I had that kind of trainer-teacher mask on, and that, that was oh, my yeah. personality, and I had the lanyard with my name on it and stuff like that. Yeah. And I can see that I was putting on a, a different persona for everybody I was meeting. But once your brain goes, all of all of that goes, and you've got no persona that for different situations like your family, your friends, and your work colleagues, and your people you're teaching and stuff like that. It, it, it all changes. And there was a, a dreadful couple of months, really, when I didn't know – I was not in control of any of it. So – I didn't know what identity I really was, if you can understand that. I was more like having an identity crisis because I, I, I couldn't put up these kind of little fronts for each occasion. I just, I just had to go with the flow of being mentally disabled, basically. And I find that very frightening. And I still am to some extent. Like, so I used to be someone with my family, someone with my friends, someone with my, when I was at work, someone, and I think that is completely normal. I think that obviously the absolutely uh, yes healthier people are like, okay, well, there's a tiny difference when I'm with my friends. That all was lost. So I was swearing with my mum, like she was my friend. Yes. Um, uh, I was swearing like with her friends, uh, so being like, oh, yes, what about this? And then I was like, oh, I shouldn't. I, and it wasn't until I went, oh, I shouldn't have said that, that I was like, oh, it's coming back. My memory and stability, <laughs> as I said yes. last, uh, earlier, was coming back because I was like, oh, I actually, maybe I shouldn't have said that because that's mum's friend. That's not my friend. Yes, you, you don't um, say things like that in front shot. of your mum's <laughs> best friend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whereas. What I'd become was how I was with all of my friends all the time. And so, yeah, there was no nuance, basically, in my sort of re um, different actions of talking to people. And context people wasn't there either, was it? Context goes yeah. out the window, yes. The, the, the normal kind of, what do I call the civilised kind of warp and weft of your life kind of goes. Yeah. And then the, the context in which you would say something or do something which is interesting because the uh, because that all that changes but then a headway i remember a very a very strange incident of, it's about black humor which we've talked about before yes. which oh, is God, that yeah. uh, i remember um we we had one of our sessions in the morning and there was a coffee break and as yeah. we were standing in line to get some coffees um the woman behind me said um do you think they've got any decaf coffee and i said no it doesn't look like they've got any decaf coffee and she said oh that's um that's very disappointing still i'm not dead and i thought whoa whoa what do you mean you're not dead oh yeah well clearly um but then i thought actually this is the only place in the world where you can actually say something as well, at least i'm not dead in a very casual offhand quite sort of humorous aside you could never do that at a dinner party or you could never do it at home with your family or your friends but in a place like headway you can actually say well at least i'm not dead and actually mean it and but be very offhand about it and yeah. that kind of slightly and black humor kind of like and everyone will be like oh god yeah we've we've been there been there so and done that kind of like you know, it's it's it is good. Um, it is needed. It's like because it's talking like 
you talk about sort of venting, but here yes. is like a place where everyone has a similar experience or a similar, yeah, similar experiences to each other. Um, and they're like, well, we can just be completely honest, completely open. All the masks are down, aren't they? All the, the masks, masks come down. Yeah, down. yeah, absolutely. Uh, people, people do say the most kind of which shocking safe, thing. shocking things. I know, absolutely. I mean, that was the first time I came across that. But since then, I've I've heard people say, you know, quite quite outrageous things about death, <laughs> dying, dropping dead, and stuff like that, um, or. Uh, being paralysed and all the dreadful things that have happened to us all, and um, but you there's there's a moment where you just know that they can't possibly say that in front of their own relatives. Yeah, they have to put up a mask for the rest of the family and their friends and their work colleagues. But once they're at headway, they can just let all that go and just say what you. So in fact, they won't even say it in front of their carers, or even no. uh, or even the staff at headway. I find that yeah. they'll they'll wait until they're not around and then say the most dreadful things. But I think they have to say it, don't we? I think we all have to say it because we have to kind of vocalise or externalise some very real fears issues. about yeah. and issues which you we are still grappling with about how close you were to death when yes. you when you. Well, and that's the thing. It's it's you you know as you say like as. You know, you have to vent that out. And, yes. But yes. also, you need to sort of like, if you're joking about, say, something horrible that's happened to you, you're processing it yourself. You're like, okay, so if I if I say, oh, I I was almost dead, then someone else can't, can't say, oh, you were almost <laughs> dead, where it was hurt. You're almost sort of like. I'm trying to take the venom and the the stabbing feeling that yes, I get when yes. someone else says this. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say it first. So you know, for example, so I um I obviously have eyesight issues. They're getting better, obviously, but still. Um, so for the longest time, my mum didn't want me to joke about it, and I understand why. Yes. But I used to be like, I need to deal with this my own way. So I was like joking about this film, uh, Anchorman 2, where there's a guy, it's Ron Burgundy, is, is, is blind or pretending to be blind. And I was like, well, I've got to joke about this because otherwise it's really close to, his hitting close to home. Yes. Really yes. close to home. And I need to joke about it because I need to be okay with this myself. And that was the thing. And, you know, like, so And now, luckily, my family is okay with some of my eyesight issues. My stepdad um, puts uh, drinks and uh, wine and stuff like that in my uh, blind spot and waits to see how long it takes me to realise it's there. Yes. And, and, it's, and that's that's. It's funny. And I'm just like, ah, oh, you're... But it's kind of like, oh, okay, so everyone's in on the same joke, but I created the joke, so it can't harm me. Yes. And, that, and that's the thing. I think that's very important to be able to control. Well, it is for me that I have to control my own thoughts about that. And that um, I get very... I'm pretty very bluntly, I get very scared about the fact that I've lost my personality. I mean, some of my friends... Yeah recognize me for me and my uh, immediate family recognized for me, me for me i think my wife 
will say occasionally, oh, you've changed, which undoubtedly I have. But, um, but there was a time when I was really worrying about the fact that I wasn't sure who I was anymore and that maybe the brain injury had altered my brain so much that I wasn't actually me anymore. And therefore, I was putting up a front of who I thought I was, but maybe none of them were. And that I was yeah. complete kind of, I was now Stephen Masters, an imposter of my own personality, trying to kind of pretend to be, you know, a former artist, former designer, former teacher, you know, I was all of these things. Um, but maybe I wasn't coming across like that anymore in my own head. So that was a very strange thing. So do you feel like yourself today or do you feel? Uh, <laughs> a good question. So, yeah, I feel, uh, I feel very much like myself today, which is good. I've, I've started having more of those days recently. Um, and I don't know whether that's because now I'm used to the person I am. And that's sort of like, I'm not the person I was, obviously I'm not the person I was, but I'm back. I'm happy with the person that I am most days. So you're a new person, you think? You're a different person. Yes. Yeah, and I think I am person, very deep I'm inside. Happy. I think I am a different person. And I'm still trying to grapple with that because um, I think I'm 68 now, somewhere around there. And I'm thinking this is a bit old in my life to start taking on new new personality traits but it's always possible i suppose and it's kind of an adventure in itself the face mask josh mentioned is called the 65 roses pro available from the cambridge mask company the sunflower branded hidden disabilities lanyard is available at hiddendisabilitiesstore.com and the brain injury identity card which you can customize to highlight your own personal brain problems is available through Headway, the brain injury charity. Details are on our Instagram page at what underscore memory, followed by the numeral two. What Memory is our personal podcast. Any views expressed are purely our own or the personal views of our guests. We are not expressing the views of any organisation or business. Thanks to our amazing sound editor, Jamie Rutherford, professional audio producer and fellow brain injury survivor. And although we have hundreds of listeners, we have no idea who you all are. So if you get a moment, email us at whatmemory2 at hotmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-M-E-M-O-R-Y, followed by the numeral 2 at hotmail.com. Okay, we're done. The only thing we know for sure after brain injury is that the future is unknown and daunting. But it can only get brighter if we plan for it to be that way. Bye for now.